0: Hey, everybody. I'm Coots.
1: And I'm Conan.
0: All right, everybody. I'm with my partner in crime, Dr. Jeff Conan. Today, we're talking about something that uh, we both are kind of new to. So we've got the the novice armchair uh, uh, approach here. But uh, it's something that we've known but never knew it formally existed. And that's Sayers Law. So let me read to you exactly what Sayers' Law is. Sayers' Law says, In any dispute, the intensity of feeling is inversely proportional to the value of the issues at stake. Meaning, in layman's term, the more passionate and the more intensity or fervor there is around a topic, the less actual meaning and significance it has to society. And then the the joke that goes with that is a, a spinoff statement that says something that's meaningful to us. And this is, we this is where we've heard this from was academic politics are so vicious precisely because the stakes are so small. And you know, this and uh, in the big picture, in the grand scheme of life. Now we don't want to, you know, uh, uh make it sound like, well, what a person does for their job and career isn't important. I know for a person going through tenure and promotion or something like that, it's it's very important. But I know that in my experience and all of my colleagues' experience, we had several conversations how anticlimactic it was after we received tenure and promotion, uh, things like that. And uh, and I think it goes directly uh, to this point. And it got me wondering about all the stuff that we see in the media and social media, on the news and leadership circles and all the different spaces we travel of, even with cancel culture and all those kinds of things, you know, of, of how passionate people get about a certain topic that so many people are like, yeah, what, huh? You know, and it just goes to, prove Sayers law. And of course, anybody who's had any formal education knows the difference between laws and theories and things like this. And this made it to the, to the place of, of Sayers law, um, which, which is, which is means theoretically, again, I don't, I haven't done a, a thorough history on it. Like I said, we don't rehearse these, these, uh, these podcast topics. We just picked it about five minutes ago. And, uh, and it's interesting though, that uh, it bears true, at least in my short brief time thinking about it, it bears true that the things we get so excited about, you know, and are so passionate about, and there's such intensity over things that, you know, in the big picture, it's really only important to a small percentage of people, sometimes um, an insignificant percentage. Now, not that an individual is insignificant, but that the percentage it represents is kind of small. And And particularly relevant to this academic thing that we just talked about. I know that that's been true in every job that I've had in academics for the last 25 years. And how about you, Jeff?
1: Oh, my God, is it true? Because you get, you know, and it's like you said, it's a strong point. You get uh, passionate about the line of work you're in and the setting you're in. But all you have to do is take a step back or a step away from it and look in as an outsider and you realize oh my god why are we getting so worked up over this and you know, what it reminds me of matt is you know i grew up with two young kids going to hockey rinks all the time and just watching you know parents go crazy when they're six and seven and eight and nine just yelling right have you ever walked into a sporting event with other kids and watched parents when you have no stake in it and you like <laughs> an outsider right you think these people are crazy and I think it's a similar thing. You don't really realize when you're in that environment, that deep and so passionate about something that you, you know, you you build up your your knowledge, your opinion, your voice, whatever. And you sit around the table and you have a stake in it, but it's often not a big stake. We just make it a big stake, and yeah, the academic world is certainly well known for that.
0: Right. I mean, think about the percentage of. You know, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I know they're very small. You know, the percentage of kids that make it into the NFL or professional or big time college sports. You know, we know it's an incredibly small percentage, but yet most parents, like you said, think, well, my kid's the exception to the rule. And, of course, when everybody thinks of the sex- exception to the rule, then that just means they have no clue of reality. Oh, you know. They are
1: the rule. They're not right. the exception to the rule. They're gone.
0: Yeah, and, you know? and now that goes, so bring it in to, you know, kind of a bigger picture here of of all the different spaces that this rule or law applies. I think it's huge. When we talk about things that we're seeing on social media, just take Twitter or X, you know, uh, for for instance, of all the different things that are being said, all the different camps people are in, all the different um advocacy and activists kind of thing who are online saying this or saying that and realizing that, you know, you're getting your five or six people who like your response and tweet you back. Maybe even it's, if you're lucky, you're into double digits. But when you think about the grand scheme of things, it's such a small perception. And what alarms me about it, Jeff, is the notion of confirmation bias. Now, if anybody's followed any of my stuff or read any of my stuff, I'm 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 a big fan of understanding, you know, the cognitive fallacies, the um, uh, the heuristics and biases that we live by, and, and confirmation bias is one of the most uh, uh, damning things to a person's life, and that's the fact that we surround ourselves with people and ideas that we already believe to be true, and we never really challenge our own thinking. And, you know, one of the things that we take pride in in our DAT program at FIU is even in our scholarship classes, we talk about, you know, understanding and uncovering the biases and heuristics in our own thinking. And Sayers law fits right in with that because most people think because it's important to me, it's important to everybody else because this is significant to me then everybody else should come at this and approach this with the same level of intensity and fervor that I have. And it creates problems because then people are always walking around getting their bubble burst. You know, but well, what do you mean? This isn't a life or death issue for you, right. you know, kind of a thing. And, and it should, and if it's not then shame on you. And again, I don't want to make this a political talk, but it, it goes quite a hand in hand with what we're being told about even you know, this idea of being an anti-racist versus just not discriminating, you know, and, and things like that. And, and if you're not, it's not enough just to not discriminate. You have to be an anti-racist now. And 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 if you're not, well, then you're just racist, you know, and things like that. And again, I don't mean to make this a political thing or anything like that, Or, but it is interesting to think about how Sayers Law has worked its way into society and into our culture across the board.
1: Yeah, I think the other piece of that too is, you know, there's a great book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, right? And uh, really what it's about is putting all of your life experiences into um, uh, context of where you are, right? So when you're 22, something that crosses your plate is really going to be significant at that time. It's the biggest thing that you face. but when you're 50 and you look back at that episode, it really wasn't a big deal. It's just at that time it was. And, you know, sometimes we call that experience um, and it helps us weigh circumstances on, on how significant they are. Um, but that's what happens, you know, when you get into academia, for example, like we're talking about, you get in there and, you know, there aren't many crucial decisions you truly have to make in academia. Yeah. There's some important decisions that, you know, involve students and it's, big part of their life at that time and so on and so forth and same with faculty but at the end of the day um nothing we do is going to you know save or lose a life or things of that nature and so um we weigh that in context so sometimes some things that we do which really aren't a big deal in the bigger picture of life are a big deal in that room in a college setting and um, that's where this law has sort of creeped into it if you will right. Um, and, um, and then, it, you know, it, it, that infiltrates that whole work-life harmony because now you're getting all worked up about something in your job and it's, and you come home and you share it with someone, and they're like, look, honey, that's really not a big deal.
0: You know, could it, could it be that that's a part of the big problem with work-life harmony and why that's an issue is because we don't understand Thayer's law, or Sayers' law and it's, and everything's becoming a huge issue and, and really... Most things aren't, you know, I, I said this in a conversation with, with somebody this morning on a, on a zoom call of, you know, listen, we're not, we're not curing cancer here. You know, we're an athletic training program, working on this, doing this certain things. And, and while what we do is important and I'm not minimizing what we do as work, but let's, let's take it in proper perspective. You know, you said context is important and it absolutely is. And I think, I think some of the problem that we have with this whether it's life management, whether it's leadership, whether it's just integrating into our communities and neighborhoods, whatever it might be, is this lack of foresight. I mean, that's really what it is. And and I know that, that, you know, I do a lot of writing and talking on this area of contextual intelligence. And I think it's, I think this piece of foresight here is a really important thing because what people do when they get so intense and so vehemently passionate about a particular thing, it's It's actually showing their lack of foresight because two years down the road, three years down the road, 10 years down the road, you're not even going to remember having this argument. The world's going to be so different than how it is now. And it's not because, oh, I fought for this valiantly and we got it changed. It's because the world naturally, no matter what we do, is going to change. I mean, that's the nature of an emergent system, right? Things just change and alter over time and sometimes very quickly. And, uh, and that's a big mistake that so many people make. And why Sayers Law is so uh, potent an idea for me is because one of the things that humans do fundamentally is we assume that the future is going to be like today. And what happens to me in the future is just going to be more of the same. And we, we imagine a future that's very similar to what's happening today. And, and that shows an incredible lack of foresight because wisdom dictates that as we look into the future, we have to assume it's going to be dramatically different than it is now. This has come up in some of our other podcasts where we've said, did you ever think for a minute that you'd be doing what you're doing now, 20 years ago? I mean, when we were an undergrad thinking about being an athletic trainer and all that, did we ever imagine we'd be doing what? No, we didn't, and we could never even imagine the journey to get there. It's like that journey from A to B is not that single straight line; it's that spaghetti noodle line that gets you all over. and And that's what people fail to see when they're when they're getting so passionate. Not that we shouldn't be passionate about things. Not that we shouldn't uh, know what our convictions are. We absolutely should, and not that we shouldn't be act um, advocates for different things. We also should, but we also have to keep in proper context how important this thing actually is, not only to me, but to the people immediately around me and to the wider swath of people who might not have anything to do with this. And, and this goes back to something that we've said before, is this is why it's so important to travel, right? I mean, I show up in Rwanda, you show up in Italy or wherever we're at, different places we go, all different places we go. And we just assume everybody has the same experiences we do, has the same background, same thinking and all that. And we realize not only don't they, but everything that I thought was important, they don't even know about or care about. You know, and it's like, that's a real issue and it keeps you humble. And I guess that's the thing that Sayers law speaks to the most to me is once we understand how it's applied and works, if we, if we recognize it, it should help us be more humble in how we approach people, who we approach and what we say when we approach them.
1: You're so right. And, you know, going back to what you were just saying about, did you ever imagine, you know, where we are now? Remember back in the old days, um, we used to tell people, like, you know, what are your goals? Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? That question seems to be shortening its timeline each time. You know, now it's where do you see yourself next year, literally. Yeah. And, and it's hard. It's difficult for people to do it because information and speed is changing and, and the world around us is changing daily so fast. And so I think that's another piece of this whole, this law that we're discussing is that in the context of reality, you know, What we thought would take two, three, four or five years to build up um, is can happen in six months now. And so the decisions we're making, they they seem to have more meaning or more pressurized for them and more importance to them. And they really don't still. Right. But we we have this sense of rushing. And, uh, you know, how many times have have you uh, send an email to someone or a text recently and they get back to you like that night or the next morning and they apologize sorry, it took me so long to get back to you. And I'm like, no, you're, you're fine. Like we're still in the same window of the day. Like it's okay. Um, but I think that's the context of the world we live in right now. And that's also what's elevated the perception of importance of these types of conversations and decisions we're involved in.
0: Yeah. It's that sense of urgency versus the sense of what's truly important. You know, I mean, how often do we forsake the important for the urgent, you know, and you've heard people say that a lot. And I think it's, I think it's critical. I just did that yesterday. You know, I responded to somebody literally within 12 hours and led off with sorry for my delayed response, you know, (laughs) and it was, it was with the same day. And when we first started this virtual world thing, I mean, I remember when it was acceptable that, you know, policies and syllabi and whatever would say, well, I've reserved three days to get back to 72 hours. And that's getting shorter and shorter and shorter, like you said, because things are becoming compressed uh with the at the pace of change. And that's because society is changing. And you know, I mentioned the emergent culture. And, and if you don't understand the difference between an evolutionary mindset is one where there's slow, gradual change, but in an emergent context is one where changes seem to happen overnight without a cause. And it's just something like pops up out of nowhere. And we're seeing more and more emergence in our society. And because of that, uh, this thing like Sayers Law and the sense of urgencies and are becoming more and more urgent as time goes on. And people are thinking, if I'm not heard now, I'll never be heard. And that's yeah. the lack of foresight that we'm talking about is that's just not true. We're we're becoming victims of our society and as leaders as managers, as program directors, as 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 athletic directors, as as nurse managers, whatever it is, whatever space you're in, we have to we have to actively resist that temptation and understand that time there's still 24 hours in a day. You know, there's still 365 days in a year. Everybody still has the same amount of time, you know, and and all this kind of thing. And we've got to recognize that we have to honor that, I guess, and stop with the assumptions. Because the other thing then, and I'll, I'll say this and I'll be done, but the other thing that's behind this Sayers Law is the assumptions that we make about What's important, the assumptions that we make about life, the assumptions that we do we draw, and what we're really doing is we're making false assumptions, you know. And it goes back to this idea of years ago, I read this book called Clear Leadership. Um, and they had a chapter in this book called Interpersonal Mush, and it's one some something that has totally changed my philosophy. And what interpersonal mush is, it's the it's the made up stories that we create about a situation or a person because we're afraid to ask them firsthand what really happened. So the classic example is, you know, something, something was going on at work and, and you see, you see a colleague leaving, leaving the boss's office and they're upset, maybe crying and they leave in the middle of the day and don't come back. You know, instead of asking The person out of genuine vulnerable, you know, what happened? Are you okay? What's going on? We just make assumptions. And what happens is we make assumptions based on inaccurate observations of the past. So let's say, well, we just, let's just say this person's name is Sally. And we just saw Sally leave the boss's office we happen to know that two weeks ago Sally made an accounting error on the books. Right. So we, we chalk that. Okay. I know something there. We also happen to know that, well, the company's currently on hard times right now and the new managing director is looking to, you know, cut back some expenses. And so you, and you, and then you look at, Oh, well, Sally also has a husband who's got a really good outside job. And, and so you have all these little micro facts and in and of themselves, don't give you much information, but we start assembling those puzzle pieces to create a picture that doesn't exist. Well, she got gotten in trouble for making an accounting error. We're trying to cut back on funds and they're laying people off. Her husband has a great job. So she really doesn't need to work. You know, all of a sudden we say, Oh my God, Sally's getting fired or Sally's getting let go or something like that. And, and we create that story and it's just so far from the truth. And we come to find out after the fact, when we see Sally in the office the next day, we're so convinced of our reality that we say, oh, poor Sally, she's in denial. She must be, you know, she, she's here and she can't give it up when really she just had to go home because her son got in trouble or got sick at school. And that was the principal calling the boss. Hey, I need to come. Sally needs to come pick up her son. He got hurt at recess today, you know, and, and that's really what happened. And she was upset about it. And and we're we are we don't even know that Sally has a kid. You know, we know the other things, but we don't know that. That's interpersonal mush. And that's, I think, a big part of what's going on here. We get so excited about something. If my kid doesn't get to get seen, going back to your sport analogy, isn't seen by this scout, then he's never going to make it into the big leagues. You know, this kind of thing. So my kid has to play and, you know, that whole thing and everything's so important and so blown out when actually the stakes are so small. You know, and, and I think that's a big thing for all of us to walk away from an understanding that Sayers Law is a real thing and we need to be aware of it. So don't blow things out of proportion. Okay, so uh, you kind of just
1: alluded to it, but you made a comment. Said so this is the last thing you're going to say, but I'm going to ask you to say one more. So if you had to close this out with like a one sentence piece of advice that people can utilize to benefit from Sayers Law circumstances, what's that one piece of advice you would share to everyone? Get over yourself. <laughs>
0: I, mean, I mean, give it a break. And not everything's a make or break issue. In fact, nothing that you're talking about is a make or break issue. And that's the that's the thing is we want to leave our mark and impact on the world so badly that we think we only have one shot to do it. I think it was Andy Warhol. You know, everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame, right? So everybody wants their 15 minutes. And the issue is... It, you can't. Don't worry about it. I mean, you've got a lifetime to develop. I mean, think about the students we interact with and they want to make a difference right now. I did too. You did too. I know as soon as we've got what we thought was a neat idea, we wanted to make a difference right now. But what we thought was a neat idea, no one else did. And over 25 years, I've developed my content, my material, stuff like that. Say, I know that, I know you have the exact same story. It's like, all of these things were slowly developed. There's no really such thing as an overnight success. Even the, even the idea behind emergent phenomenon that we just talked about is it seems to suddenly appear overnight, but really there's been small microevolutionary changes under the surface that no one noticed for decades or centuries or whatever. Same thing's true in the life cycle of a person. And, and that's what we've got to believe. That's what we've got to realize is that I have time to do this barring a catastrophe, you know, but everybody plans for the catastrophe instead of for the long haul. So get over yourself and don't think you have to do this now. Develop yourself. And in developing yourself, something will emerge as you're going, and then you'll find your thing.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's exactly what I said at that uh, student leadership keynote at NAT in Indianapolis. So I said, it's easy to become an overnight success in 30 years. Exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's patience. And I think that along those lines, when you're, when you're going down that road, you don't know if it's 30 years, 20 years, 10 years. And, and, and oftentimes you aren't the one who self-defines it. And, you know, for an example, I was doing a deposition not too long ago and the opposing attorney, uh, asked me, so, so you call yourself an expert. What do you think? Why do you call yourself an expert? And uh, why are you chosen to do X, Y, and Z in your profession? And I said, you know, I'm not a self-proclaimed expert. It's how other people recognize you and your body of work who sort of put you into that position. And uh, it's not for me to determine. And so a lot of times, even with the greatest self-awareness, it's hard to know. And and I'm sure you agree to this. Uh, I I know you do actually that um, when you get to that level, close as you can to being recognized as an expert, you become more humble and in your mind, less expert. Like you still think you're there and may have more knowledge than others in that certain space, but then you realize how much you don't know in that space still and how much you can grow. And so I think that's, that's the danger or the wisdom that comes with over time is that, you know, in these circumstances, like to get over yourself, uh, I, I used to probably go nuts over some small things earlier in my career. And it's like, now I feel like like Mr. Teflon, you can do whatever you want, doesn't bother me, and it's not the end of the world, and we can work through this, and it's no problem, but boy, that's a, a transformation of high magnitude that takes over time to realize that. You put it into context of a longer career and a longer time, and that's when you realize, you know what, these, these issues, they just aren't that important, quite frankly.
0: Yep. And that manifests in a lot of ways. And in particular, even, even the things with when I used to teach undergrad courses and things, you know, students would get so uptight about the grade. And uh-huh. I actually would have students and parents text me and email me when I would say, listen, let's ha- let's learn this before you concern yourself with the grade. And there is no real difference in the long run between getting an A and me. Ma- and I'm going to go as far as getting a C, you know, getting an A, you, you know it, you know what I mean? c is still average knowledge you know i mean so this i this is what's really important and people freak out when i say that if i don't get an a you oh. know and they get all small stakes it's like i haven't been asked my gpa in 20 years my grades in 20 i mean maybe they were important to me then i know and well but you're getting into grad school for the next step it's important and all that and yeah i don't know that's even true either because i know a lot of grad school that let some knuckleheads in their programs for other reasons than just gpa you know there's other things that you can do to qualify you you know anyway i don't want to take this in another direction there's so much truth
1: to that and and, uh i think what's funny about that is you know if you get a c which is what a 70-ish 75-ish it's an average average but if i got a 75 percent of batting average in baseball i'd be in the hall of fame and so context yeah exactly exactly
0: (laughs) totally totally well that's awesome so coots and conan are
1: out